too. This conversation kind of took us over into the keto diet. I feel. Oh yeah, that's true. Because yeah, we talked about no carbs, and so the keto diet is then going to be good for damp people. Yes, it's going to be great, good for most people, but it's really, really key for damp people. Yeah, because awesome. this is how you stop this excess production of fluids that clearly isn't moving. Because dampness means stagnated fluids. Yeah. Nice. And then I think the other thing is that whenever people switch diets, they're always like, oh, it worked for a little bit and then it stopped. Yeah. Like we get a lot of these stories, especially I have a lot of vegetarian or vegan patients. They'll be like, oh, I felt so much better for, you know, a year or two or maybe three. And then all this health stuff starts happening and just increases in severity. And I try to point out we need to change the diet again. Like it worked for a little bit because there was probably some underlying stagnations that you were dealing with and you weren't eating good food. So true, man. So hundred percent true. And that's actually really important to have like a practitioner like you're, like you're saying, like, like Asher, shout out to Asher. Uh, anybody in Wyoming, uh, Hawaii or Wyoming, just do some, you know, consults online or something, but to have a, a practitioner who's really paying attention and helping you guide through that lifestyle stuff, man, that's a game changer. So you're doing it exactly right for your patients, man. Um, because you're exactly right. Like, is a vegan diet good? Well, it's always good for the environment. Ecologically, yes. I was vegan for 10 years too. But is a vegan diet good for our body? Sometimes. And who's it really good for? Excess, blocked up, too much fats, too much fluids, too much, all this stuff, because it's it's designed to move. But if you look at vegan, unfortunately, you can't really say is veganism healthy or not, um, because some vegans are eating all starch all day, man. I call them starchitarians, not vegetarians. So it's like, it doesn't count. It doesn't matter if it's, if you're vegan, if you're just pounding the noodles and the rice all day, that's called a starchitarian, which again, unless they're starving, that's probably not the best way to do it. Yeah. Right. But, or depending on the environment too, I got told by one of my professors that, you know, eating, so being out in Hawaii in the tropics where it's warmer, yeah. it's like you can get away with being a fruititarian maybe because- so cooling but you live in such a hot environment Mm -hmm. if you're not very active and all you're doing is meditating or something then then yeah you can probably get away with that lifestyle and diet dude you are so spot on exactly we used to see this in in beijing when um a lot of the like probably like 50 or 60 percent of the the foreign school at uh, the school at the university i went to beijing university of chinese medicine about 50 or 60 percent of the foreign students were koreans and they would eat, obviously, the same Korean food that um, they had back in Korea, but they would eat it in dry, dry Beijing, not damp, damp uh, Korea. And they all had acne because you eat that same spicy food in a dry area. There's no more dampness to move. There's no more you know, dampness to expel out of the body. And all that heat from the spiciness just basically sits in your body and creates what we call toxic heat, which is the foundation for pretty much all acne and lots of different dermatological things. So just because you take out the humidity factor, what was working great for this demographic now is backfiring on them. Right. We have the same thing out here where rice is such a central part of the diet here. Mm. And it came over from, you know, China or Japan a lot. Mm. And now you're eating a bunch of rice in this hot tropical climate. And the dampness is just off the hook. It's way too much. And people are finding their they're figuring it out in a, in a broader sense that, oh, if I just cut out rice, I feel so much better. Things are getting easier to manage. Yeah. Yeah. 
So true, dude. Yeah, damp on damp is way different than a chocolate chocolate donut. Chocolate on chocolate, good. Damp on damp, bad. No, I'm not advocating donuts either, but you know what I mean. Well, we can advocate chocolate. We can grow chocolate out here. It's hey. one of the few places in the States that you can grow cacao. Oh, nice. Um, it's very lovely, yeah. Fun. You grow it has any? the whole volcanic colors. I don't oh, grow any snap. where I'm at, but I have grown in the past. Nice. It's man. a really beautiful process with a really low-tech processing. Which, nice. Yeah. Like the aging of the beans and stuff? Yeah, you put it in a like a wooden box with lined with banana leaves. I love that. Yeah, and then you just move it down the box, and there are flies flying in and doing all this stuff, and it's fermenting and like turning pink the the flesh, the uh-huh. sweet flesh of the of the bean that's on the outside, ferments and decomposes a little bit, and then you take that out and you process it again, and then you cook it, and that's usually the starting place then for your chocolate. Dude, I love it. Yeah. You know, so many of the good things. It's so funny because you say that like the same thing happened in China. We have. Um, which is really intense for foreigners at first. But if you cook it right, even foreigners tend to like it right away. My partner is not Chinese at all or Asian, but uh, I cooked it the first time I had it. She's like, what is this? It's awesome. And I was like, well, some people call it stinky tofu, but it's really not. There is such a thing as cho tofu. That's next level stinky. And that takes that takes some time to get used to. But this one is <laughs> called tofu ru, which is like tofu dairy is this that's the word we use for dairy but it's fermented tofu where they what they'll do is they'll have a big block of tofu and they set it out and it gets fuzzy (laughs) it's the same as cheese if any of you have seen cheese it's just like a big block of moldy fuzz uh on the outside and then they age it the right amount which i'm sure they're quite used to you shave off all the fuzzy parts and on the inside you've got this like weirdly changed ridiculously rich thing that you can make basically a cream sauce with it when you when you saute your vegetables and it is um phenomenal nice while we're here do we have a way of understanding the fermentation process on foods and what that does yeah yeah Neijing actually goes into this they talk about how alcohol is their example um and why it's absorbed so quickly into the body is because it's pre-digested so in chinese medicine we think fermentation is pre-digestion which then tells us a couple of key things. It's great for people who have really low digestive capacity, which we would call spleen deficient. And we would say, um, you could actually kind of do spleen and stomach there. Technically it would be connected to the stomach. And I know, I know we're crossing. We're <laughs> you just did it, man. This whole, we started with don't do it. Don't do it. And then, well, it's, it's so true, dude. You're right. Also, here's another toughie. Baisha is technically the spleen's fluid herb because it nourishes ying nutritive, which ying nutritive fluids are, they belong to the spleen, but we use that same herb to nourish the stomach yin deficiency. So spleen and stomach are in the same spot. It's true. It's just their functions differ, but you got to keep me straight here. You got to keep me on, on track. (laughs) And what do you mean by stomach yin? Is it all fluids? Is it... A specific yeah or it's a specific yeah it's ying nutritive as well actually so it shares the same fluid as the as the spleen so um for and there's lots of different ways to see this i'm sure asher has heard me say this a million times but for you listeners let me start counting from one uh the best reason to study formulas is that you can understand physiology from a tcm mindset and so we have a formula called pu 
what's actually that's the disease is pu the formula is called mazarenwan and uh, it deals with the very rare what's actually yeah it's pretty rare it's actually too dry of a spleen we already said spleen likes dry but technically there is a too dry um, point in the spectrum and that's where you need to nourish yin nutritive and as you might guess baishan was the key herb in there that treats the root of the problem. Dahuang is the famous one because it makes people poop because PU is classically for constipation, but it's actually technically only one kind of constipation. So people will sometimes use that as a chronic constipation formula. That's actually wrong on a couple levels. One is there's lots of causes for chronic constipation. So you can't just use it for all chronic constipation, but two, you shouldn't really be taking Dahuang long, long term. It'll damage the spleen. Because it's too moistening? Too descending. Oh, it's too descending. So Dahuang is one of our strongest purging, draining downward herbs. And since the spleen can only lift, if you do lots of draining downward, you're just going to start wrecking the spleen yang's lifting ability. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, so back to fermented foods. They're basically pre-digested. Yeah. So we can do a whole thing on probiotics, but... Uh, because that, that would actually be a cool little podcast episode too. But yeah, fermentation, you can think of that as people don't need to overdo the fermented foods. Just a little every day or every other day is fine. Um, in fact, a lot of people are overdoing probiotics these days. Western medicine has kind of figured this out. Huh. What's yeah. the symptom? What happens when you start overdoing it with the probiotics? Gassy. Just gassy, yeah. Yeah, bloaty gassy. So like kombucha is a key one and, you know, different ones. I... I might, I might uh, be building some enemies here, but I'm not a huge fan of kombucha. <gasps> I know. You know what? I, it's, I, I grew it myself. I did the whole thing. I had my SCOBY. I had it in a corner of my dorm room. I didn't hang out in that corner of my dorm room as often because for those of you who know what kombucha feels like and smells like, it's just not. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. A shed would have been better. Anyway, so the problem with the SCOBY is you don't know what's in it. Nobody knows what their scoby is. It's scoby means a symbiotic culture of uh, bacteria yeast and yeast. Exactly. Yeah. But it's basically what's in the air and that's what's in your scoby. Well, you don't know if that's good or bad bacteria and yeast. And here's a really interesting telling point is one of my um, herb students in Costa Rica, she was making her you know regular kombucha batches and we were going through the spleen strengthening and tonifying herbs. And so bijul or tractyloides. I'm not going to know most of the Western names for my herbs, but I do know that one. So Baijul is incredible for your spleen. There's just so many. It is the number one spleen tonifier. Um, obviously, it's not the only one, and how we pair it is really important too. But she's like, well, shoot, I'm going to put that in my kombucha to make spleen-boosting kombucha. How cool is that? No right. doubt, man. It, it killed her scoby. I'm not joking. Oh. Yeah. And so what Baiju tends to do, if you want to think about it from a Western perspective as well, which is fine as long as we think about it from a TCM perspective first for practitioners is it basically selectively selectively calls our microbiomes. Right. And so and whatever was that in microbiome. that, is, what's that? Yeah. Well, that microbiome that, uh, that it would clear out of your stomach, it cleared out of the kombucha. Exactly. So maybe showing that the SCOBY isn't a good one for your digestion. Well, that's just it. And maybe there is a good SCOBY out there. If it can handle Baiju, I'll drink it. But if it if Baiju kills it, no thank you. Right on. That's the litmus test from now on for Steven's kombucha. And actually, I do really like a couple uh, fermenty ones. So I'm a big fan of um, kimchi. I just don't think it should be too spicy. 
for most environments, but it's because it has uh, foods that call it naturally. So the three biggies are ginger, garlic, and uh, a green vegetable called minari. And those three are the ones that tend to really call the bacteria in the kimchi so that when we're eating it, it's pre-called for us. We don't have to, our body doesn't have to try and kill off the bad ones and keep the good ones. That's a lot better for the tummy. It's just a lot of kimchis are too spicy, which again, based on where you're at, but you know, honestly, spice is not really that medicinal. It's delicious. I'm, I feel like I'm making enemies left and right today. You know, shout out to, you know, people can use it, but it basically is going to generate lung heat in a small or large amount, depending on how much people are eating it and how dry their climate is. And the right. Or how cold and moist their climate is. Totally. Up in Volcano, we have some really spicy kimchi. Sometimes he puts cucumbers in it or whatever, yeah. but it's a local guy and it's the best kimchi. But I would never want that one when I'm down in Hilo by the ocean and it's hot and humid. It's like, no, no, no. Like, But when it's up and cool, it's like, yeah, yeah, give me that some of that spice. That's feels exactly good. right. Because it feels yeah. good, yeah. And if you're cold, yeah. it will warm up your, your lung. It's just how many people deal with lung heat, right? There's right. such things lung cold too, though. Sweet. Should we do a little bit more about the classics about where this comes from? Sure. All right. So take us away. We got some, we got some, uh, Neijin quotes coming at you. We'll do three classic quotes. Uh, let's do the first one. This is from the Su Wen chapter is called Bi Lun. This one is talking of, sorry, I don't know chapter numbers. I guess we can put that on the notes later or something if we have a chance, but anyway, it's from the first half of the Neijin Su Wen and the original quote goes like this. It goes, so useful. These little eight word little words are really useful. It says when you double up your food, you harm your, your stomach and your intestines. Yeah. So, and this tells people, you know, you overeat and it really will damage. And so even if you're doing intermittent fasting, which is great, that's classically how they used to eat two meals a day. And remember their evening meal really wasn't that late in the day either. It was like 5 p.m. It was definitely before sun, sundown. And so if you're eating your last meal by 4 or 5 p.m., you bet you start at 6 a.m., you're still getting a 12-hour eating window, um, 12 or 13, right? So they still did the intermittent fasting. They just had that big gap in the middle, which helped, you know, rest the spleen. And then overeating, clearly not great for the, the stomach. So here's the thing, too, for intermittent fasters, sometimes they'll, they'll have, you know, some people go for really little windows, which I think is still fine. It depends on what their activity level is and, again, their constitution. I've heard some people do like a three or four hour window for the whole day. Um, but in this case, I think it's a little extreme personally. It'd be hard for me to feel fully fueled in that. But again, everybody is a little different. But the key here is those are the one demographic where if they kind of grazed for that whole three hour period, that would maybe make sense. So that would maybe be the only open um, invitation to graze there. Because if they just slam food for three hours, that's obviously not going to work. And if they try and make up for it because they're you know totally famished, they're probably going to overeat. And so that's the whole goal is try not to, you know, go to like seventy percent, eighty percent full, and then rest the tummy. Kind of yeah. Like concept. Yeah, that seventy percent is the whole. There is no try. It's the Wu Wei. Mm. For me, yes, because Yoda. Everyone knows the Yoda quote of "There is no try, only do or do not," but. When you see that Tai Chi man in the park doing his Tai Chi nice and slow and everything has got bends in it, you see that he's it's effortless. Yeah. He's only putting in 60, 70% effort to make that movement. 
Hmm. And that's for me, what I see as that Wu Wei. That's interesting to kind of like put Wu Wei almost on like, almost parallel with efficiency. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Because like anything really in the, motion. Yeah. Because anything you do after that is excess and wasted. Yeah. Less energy, less, less work, more pro, like more product, right? Yeah. Yo, yo. All right. We do, uh, we do another quote. Actually, let's just, well, let's do three quotes. Yeah. We'll do another one. Let's do it. Let's do a Ling Shu if you want. Up, up for it. Yeah. All right. Hit me. This one is uh, Gu. Gu bu ru. Uh, which means, um, therefore, when grains, sorghum, or food, it's just a metaphor, they're all, it's all pointing to food. Anyway, when food doesn't enter inward and downward into the body, meaning when we don't intake food for half a day, your chi begins to wane, and at a full day of that, your chi begins, uh, is actually less. And so this is going back to the days where Again, they, they might not have been able to handle seven days of, of fasting just because they were so resource limited, right? But here you can see, obviously, there is a point where fasting becomes too much. And this is when it really starts draining people's energy. So I, this is something like Asher was saying, too. He felt way better when he would do it. Yeah, there's a transition period for sure. But after if you're doing intermittent fasting and you kind of ease it in over a week, and at the end of that week, you're still not feeling good. Something's probably up, uh, up, you know. So you might have some pathologically stuff or whatever else. You might be generating some stomach fire with all that emptiness. Right. The other thing I was thinking too is that the twenty-four hour eating—they are also farmers. They're workers, so that was a twenty-four hour time period where you were probably doing manual labor around the house or out in the fields, and you weren't just meditating in the mountains. Because I know we have some Taoist mountain meditators that have a different practice yeah but there's like specific uh goals and environmental understandings that go with that context so true like if they're not having a lot of energetic output they don't need as much input right and if you're in a deep meditative state for the entire time your your brain's not even using as much so true dude yeah you can even i mean a lot of the great masters would use uh, meditation as a replacement for sleep. All right. The last, last quote. All right. So this tells us too much, not great, too little, um, not great. Uh, meaning we have to get that right amount. And, and we were talking about eating when you're hungry, which I think is a great one. So from our perspective, when you're get when you get hungry, that basically means you're starting to get stomach heat. And when you get excessively hungry, we call that stomach fire. Um, this is a little bit of a pet peeve, but there is no such thing as good uh, stomach fire. We're never like, so some people will be like, Oh, I like to eat kimchi to boost up my stomach fire. That's kind of funny. That's being like, well, I kind of like to smoke, uh, tobacco. So it boosts up my tuberculosis. Like nobody is trying to boost stomach fire, but what they mean, I think is it, it warms my stomach, which is true. And how do we know things warm our stomach? You can feel it. You literally feel warmth and it starts getting hungry. And so if you feel that warmer hunger, um, and certain foods, dojer is a really gross one in China. If you guys ever want a really, it's fermented bean drink. It's just way too much. I've tried it and it's just cannot handle it. Anyway, it will, it'll make your tummy feel like that. So these are ways that you can actually increase that warmth of the stomach. And what happens is when you start getting hungry, it's your body's signal that you've got enough stomach acid. And that means you can just start digesting food. When people start trying to digest food and they put food into a, a you know, an environment or a stomach that just can't handle it. 
it's just going to sit there. So people really should, um, you know, eat when they're hungry. And the goal is to try and regulate that so that they are hungry for their, say, two meals a day. Food feels really good and they, you know, appetite is strong. They eat that and they're not super hungry between meals. That's the sweet spot. Too much hunger, stomach fire, too little hunger, usually, you know, spleen, but really more stomach weakness, remember, because stomach pulls the food in. Yeah, I'm thinking of a couple of patients right now who all, always come in and they're, they don't, they skip breakfast, right? They're not hungry. They're that damp type constitution and they got a little bit of that cold. So maybe start the day with kimchi instead of kanji. Fun. Do you have one more quote for Oh, us, yes. Let's, let's do one more quote. We'll do another one. We'll save. There's, I got brought another Nijian quote from uh, kind of the pathway of the food, but we'll do that one later in the, the five flavors episode. Um, all right. So this one is from uh, Wei Sheng Ge. So Ge means like a song or like, a, yeah, like a mnemonic. Technically, they don't usually rhyme very well. So that's why I don't love calling them songs. But we have them for acupuncture knowledge. We have, they, they do even capture a lot of good information. And this one is called Wei Sheng Ge. Um, all right, so it says, Tai Bao Sheng Shen, Ji Sheng Gu. So we're just going to look at that first line first. So this one is saying, when you're overly full, it harms your Shen. So S-H-E-N, your Shen. There's big Shen, there's little Shen, which means there's full body Shen. That's what I'm talking about, versus the heart-centric metaphysical part of the heart, which is the kind of the, the uh, spe- more specific use of that word Shen. But the key here is, it really does. When people eat too much food, they can't nourish their shun. And so we can kind of go into exactly how that builds up. There's actually a wonderful Nijing quote that we'll get to in the five flavors episode, but that tells you that it's actually not just for say energetic stuff, but it is including. So remember full body shun is really focused on, you know, how someone moves, how someone talks, how, some, how they make eye contact, things like that. So really much more about human behavior. Um, and it, uh, you know, we all know a calorie coma will shut all that down. A Kanak attack, as we call out here. I like it. <laughs> and then the second half says, Qi Shang which is uh, excessive hunger will harm your bones. And this will actually touch in more fully at another episode too, when we talk about how food and water get into the body and the TCM way of understanding it. But long story short is, comes into your spleen stomach, moves around with your liver's help, goes up, your heart and lungs comes down last song to get it the kidneys so apparently the kidneys they just don't know how to call deeps man i mean like they they constantly lose the battle they, they i think they're just so them. unselfish <laughs> oh that's a good way to think about it because they're generating yeah, yeah. that's true the there's a organ. leaders eat last you know it's like uh oh, make sure everyone else is taken care of before before you go in that's a great quote man or sentiment i'm not yeah we're all one of the two yeah exactly so that tells you that if there's nothing left at the end it's because you know you didn't fuel the whole train so that's telling us not too much not too little and then they actually say which means when you're too thirsty or dehydrated you harm your blood this is a really key one um and it's true you really start seeing thinner pulses and everything when people aren't drinking enough and then if they drink too much, all that extra fluid will harm their chi. And this is because fluids will stick around. And the biggest thing chi doesn't like is a big fluid blockage in front of it because it's really hard to move through it. Blood is actually not great, but it's not as problematic. But a big glommy ball of fluids is number one 
for blocking up your qi movement. And if you block up your qi movement, you're going to feel really tired. Therefore, shang qi damage your qi. I feel like the damp and phlegmy patients easily are the hardest to treat with just acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I always prepare them for a little bit of a longer turnaround to see effects. Yep. Because it's difficult. They're damp. There's so much blockage and the qi has a rough time moving, like you said. That's such a good point, man. And dampness by nature is cloying. Also, a big one is damp is a yin pathogen. Um, and so it's a little bit easier to deal with that with a yin treatment method. Such as herbs. That's right. So yang treatment method like acupuncture, a little harder. Yang treats yang well, yin treats yin well. Yeah, like treats like. Mm. So yeah, so that that's basically telling us, you know, um, and so when it comes to food, yeah, you want to make sure you're hungry for the meal and not super hungry between the meal. Those are some good takeaway guidelines. When it comes to water, uh, ideally, you know, keep it around. You want to keep it, but there's no number of ounces or whatever else that any body should be doing. The key is look at your urine. So obviously, if you're really dry, you just, you know, you should be drinking. Uh, but what you really want is like a light, light yellow fluid. Clear water, not good. We really shouldn't be peeing out the color of water, but we also shouldn't be peeing out like even yellow, like paper yellow, kind of like legal pad yellow. That's still too much. Um, certainly Mountain Dew, not ideal. Uh, neon? No, no, no bueno. Yeah, yeah. So just a twinge of yellow is what our goal is. And so some people will realize, hey, I actually am overhydrating. And you're actually kind of, you know, Western medicine would say stuff like leaching your minerals out. Uh, we would say basically overloading the chi transformation or function of the kidneys. Right. And again, the kidneys. Yeah. Because I think of them as coming in with the minerals. Yeah. Always. Heck so. yeah. Salt guides the kidneys too. Right. Yeah. So key. And then chi transformation. Sure, we should have like a whole, we could do a triple burner episode just talking about chi transformation, but that's a key one. Yeah, we will. I'm looking forward to that one. Got lots of questions about the Chihua. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. And unfortunately, you know, there's so many great quotes straight out of the Neijing. We'll bring in some good stuff there too. Chihua's fundamental to understanding how fluids move in the body. And something that we never talk about in school. Are you serious? Yeah. They no. mention it? They don't even mention it? No. Dang. Well, put it this way. We never specifically say Chihua. We do, and we'll go over this in the episode too, we do talk about the movement of fluids from the stomach being the origins and then having the small intestine doing that uh, split between the turbid. Mm -hmm. And then large intestine, I think, also has a split before then finally sending it to bladder kidneys. Wow. But it's it's very, uh, we, we learn it because it's in Machocha, but then it's quickly forgotten about mm. and never discussed again. Mm. At least that was my experience. Oh, I think I've, that's the one I've heard from all my students. So yeah. there's a lot of grumbling happening on this side. I'll spare the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Machocha, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll fix all that. But yeah, the teacher transformation is super key. Um, for a brain teaser for you, all you guys who are really nerding out with us, the key here is it's actually not the transformation of qi. It's using qi to transform fluids. Qi hua means qi transformation because it's using qi to transform fluids. Oh, just wait. Oh, 
I know. Well, the thing I like about that one too is that it reminds me of the the radicals in the story that the character Chi talks about. Because hmm. you're heating up the the boiling water. Does it have rice in it? And then it's the steam off of that. Yeah. And then that there's a story of both transformation of the rice going from a dry grain into like an edible one. And then there's the transformation of the water. Heck yeah. And and the heat's roll and all that, which is the formless fire of chi. It's like a pro, dude. Like a pro. You want me to, want me to throw throw another explode in there too? Yeah, there's do an, it. There's an even older character for chi. The formless fire. Yeah, or Yeah, no? the formless fire. Oh, shit. I already told you that one. Yeah. Yeah, so you're right. You're, the one that you're describing is exactly right. It's got the rice radical on the bottom and the gas radical on top. And you described it perfectly. And then the formless fire is the even more ancient one. Which I like too, because it's, yeah. Yeah. A better translation than we get a lot of times of, oh, it's energy. It's energy, but, it's vital essence and all these things. But man, can you imagine if they just would have said that? It's formless fire. Yeah. Like that would have been great from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what makes this all work. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, we're just Earth, which is beautiful, but it's not very animated, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. So that was a little promo for our future episode on Chihuahua and the transformation of fluids in the body. Heck yeah.